love that. So uh, we know that um, the season is clearly here. Uh, we know that it's already approached around us. Everywhere we look, it's happened. Black Friday lip buster deals have already gone on. We've seen those things. Uh, maybe you were out in there. We know that the season's full on because someone's already gotten beat up at a Walmart in Hendersonville over a Nintendo Switch, right? So we know the season's full on. And, and listen, I, I, I want you to go enjoy your Christmas shopping. I want you to do that. Uh, but what I don't want you to do is to lose your testimony over a $12 toaster while wearing your LifePoint t-shirt. Don't do that. It's not good. Uh, it wouldn't go good for the church. So don't do that. Um, but we do want you to enjoy some of the things of, of, the, of the season. That's why we preached up at Money a few weeks ago. Because we didn't want you to end up on a viral YouTube video. All right? Uh, you're welcome. Merry Christmas. Uh, we are kicking off our 11th Advent season at Stewart's Creek. This is our 11th time together. And that's awesome. We've celebrated our anniversary this year. But 11th season of Advent. Advent. Now, Brad's used that word already a little bit, but not everybody in the room knows what Advent is. We have people from all different denominations, church, unchurched. You may not know what Advent is, so let me explain that really quickly. Advent comes from the Latin word uh, that means the coming or arrival of a notable person. All right, so what we do as Christians in our season of celebrating Advent, we are looking back and celebrating and meditating on the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ as a Savior born to us this day, right? That's the first one. The second Advent that we actually celebrate is the one of looking forward to the day when the promised king returns as ruling and reigning king. So we await with great anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. So what we actually are in, Christians, we're actually in between two advents, the already and the not yet. All right, so that's the space that we actually are in. So the advent season for us is the beginning of the church calendar because the early church fathers wanted us to uh, have something that we could anchor ourselves to in the midst of an anti-Jesus, Santa-saturated Christmas season that's all around us, right? So they want us to celebrate something more, and, and so the Advent season is for us to do that and to not get caught up in the shallow nostalgia of Christmas, all right, so, but let me say this as I follow that up. Um, I'm not the Pastor Scrooge guy. Like, I, I love some of the nostalgia of Christmas. I do enjoy a lot of those things. My home, the Ford's house, the trees up, Reese, the stockings, Hobby Lobby threw up in there, all those kind of things. It looks awesome. Uh, I love watching all the same movies that you do. Elf, uh, man, Christmas Story, we'll get around that, watch the Griswolds. Um, it's a Wonderful Life. I've already watched it this season. Uh, and I've already started to tear up at the very ending of it when they all sing old Lang Syne. Listen, I, I know how it's going to end. I've watched it 113 times, but still I get a little teary-eyed when I watch that. So I love those things. I, I'm going to go to Opryland. Uh, I'm going to go to a lot of parties. I, I'd love to come to a party at your house. Uh, maybe you're going to have one. So uh, listen, I love doing all of those things around Christmas. I love some of the nostalgia. But those things I just mentioned to you are the shadows of Christmas, and they are not the substance casting the shadow, all right? So we want to be anchored in something greater than that. So how we're going to do that together as a church 
is uh, we will do a couple things. First of all, we'll meet four times together here corporately as a church body between now and Christmas Day. Four gatherings on a Sunday. And then we'll also meet uh, for our candlelight service that we'll do on uh, December the 24th. But the idea here is this. I know, I'm well aware that my four 40-minute whatever sermons uh, have no chance to stand against the barrage of distractions that's going to face you. Like, I know that. There's no way this is going to insulate you out there. So what we want to encourage you to do, in addition to corporately gathering with us every single Sunday leading up to, is we want you to to root yourself in God's Word. And how we've done that for you um, is on the app, on the LifePoint app. If you're a LifePoint member, please download that app. Please download that app. Uh, On there, there's devotionals uh, for you personally and also for your family to walk through every single day leading up to Christmas so that you would actually celebrate Advent and not just the day on Christmas Day. So lean in and use those resources that we have put out there uh, for you. And then obviously join us for each one of our Sundays um, that we're going to do leading up to that. So um, as we begin this Advent season, we're calling this Christmas through Life Point. Now let me explain that a little bit because for the last several years, we have done an event at Christmas time called Christmas at Life Point. And we have uh, talked about it and we said, hey, we want you to invite people to an event, to a Christmas event. Well, this year, in the vein of our mission statement of find life and live sin, we're changing up that one word, which is at, and we're changing it up to through. Christmas through Life Point. Christmas through you. We are taking Christmas to people. Instead of inviting to a place, we're taking it to them because isn't that what God did to us, right? He didn't invite us to a place. He came and engaged and he seek and save the lost. So that's what we're going to do. At the very end today, I'm going to kind of put some flesh on that and show you what Christmas through Life Point is going to look uh, like for us for the next four weeks. So we'll get there in just a little bit. So I just want to give you a heads up on that. Now, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't invite people to our gatherings on Sunday. We should invite. You guys should be bringing people. I know some people are here today because someone brought you here. Praise God. We're glad that you're here Uh, We want you to continue to invite people because this time of year, traditionally, uh, most people, statistics would show most people would come if they were just invited by some of you. So please do that and invite them here, culminating on December the 24th with our Christmas Eve service. So we've done done Christmas a lot of different ways in in our 10 years here at the creek. We've walked through Luke's traditional gospel account. Um, of the birth of Christ. We've studied uh, Christmas hymns, and we've seen the richness of the gospel in those things. We've studied, uh, we looked at movies and and Christmas themes there. Uh, We've looked at the prophets. We've done it a lot of different angles. This year, how we're going to look at Christmas and the Advent season is through a forgotten passage in Matthew 1. Why is it forgotten? Is because it's the genealogy of Jesus. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go there. Matthew 1. Uh, we'll read 1 through 17. Actually, I'll read 1 through 17 because you probably don't want to join me in that if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so before we do that uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to pray. And uh, I'm going to ask the Lord to help us, help me do this. And then we'll, uh, we'll let the Word do a, do a surgery on us today. So God, we, do, we love you. And Father, today, 
Every single day, every single time that we gather, there are great things at stake. This is not an ordinary thing. This is not a flippant thing. Today, many things are at stake. Salvation is at stake for someone in this room today. God, we know that you can save any of them. You can save the broken and you can save the confident. God, in, uh, in, in our time together today, would you comfort those who have disrupted lives? And then would you disrupt the ones who have comfortable lives? You're amazing and how you do that. When you meet every individual where they sit is marvelous. God, you also, in our gathering, is a great opportunity for us to lay down idols that we've chased more than you. There's a great opportunity today to repent of sins, to pursue godliness, to, to grow, to be more like you. So we ask that you would do all of those things today in us. We love you. And Father, we do this all this for the fame of your Son and for his name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so listen, before I read this, I'm getting a swig of water because I'm going to need it. Some of you are like, hey, well, I guess we'll see if the pastor studied this week and his pronunciation of these words here. So here we go. Let's go to work. 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matin, and Matin, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. All right, so we can be a church that's honest with one another. How many of you just completely checked out to the reading of the genealogy? 
Like no one's willing to raise their hand yet. Okay, I had a couple, thank you. I got some honest people. Listen, this is the, the reality of this, is when we are reading in our quiet times and reading our Bibles, uh, often when we come across genealogies, we skim, we fast forward by them. We have a lot of names of, of pronunciation and we really don't understand why it's in there. We kind of jump ahead to 18, just talk, talk about Jesus. Just give me the meat. And we just kind of skim past those things uh, when it comes to reading uh, the genealogy. I, I think at least maybe that you could maybe park there and grab some great baby names. Abinadab, Sheltul, Jehoshaphat. You want your kids to hate you forever. There you go. Just take those names. Um, but the truth is, uh, we really are not that interested in genealogies for, for the most part, unless they're our own genealogies. You know what I mean? Like there's this show. How many of you have seen this show on TLC? Um, it's called Long Lost Family. Yep, some hands up. Yeah, you just kind of, come on, y'all, engage here. Uh, yeah, so you've seen the show about, it's called Long Lost Family. What happens is in the show, these people will spend money uh, to dive into their genealogies, uh, to go into their family tree, to study their tree, in the hopes of, of connecting, reconnecting with biological families. They, they love doing that, and they're pursuing their own genealogies. Now, my wife, listen, she binge watches this show. I mean, she just like, she'll marathon that thing all day. I'm in the other room praying and fasting. But then I come out, and then she, now, see if you're listening. Uh, honestly, it's pretty interesting. Like, I've watched it with her, and it's crazy uh, what people have in these stories that kind of happen there. And we know that people today, uh, there's this thing called Ancestry.com. You've probably seen that too. And um, in that, people spend money. They get these apps, and they, they do that to find out their family tree. They're very intrigued by that. There was about a month ago, a group of my friends here at the creek, man, they got a hold of that Ancestry.com. They, they, uh, they got the app. They sent in a DNA sample, and they were just buzzing about this Ancestry.com. I mean, they were on fire about it. It was cool. They're evangelizing Ancestry.com. You should get it, all this stuff. One of the guys, uh, one of my friends, he is the color of a biscuit, and he found out that he had a relative in the Congo. I mean, it's a pretty cool story. It's Trey King. Ask him about it later. It's crazy. Uh, but but it, it's intriguing. If it's your own genealogy, you're like, well, I can, I can dig that. But we're, most of us are not interested in someone else's genealogy. So it seems a bit odd that Matthew would open up his gospel account with a bit of a snoozer with a genealogy, right? But I want you to know, uh, Matthew had great purpose in writing and including this genealogy. I want to show you three things of why uh, this genealogy is there. And really, I think it applies to other genealogies when we come across them in the Scriptures. The first thing is this. Matthew wants you and I to know that his gospel account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he's getting ready to lay out, he wants you to know that this is not Narnia and Hogwarts stuff. He's wanting you to know he's not reading a story of once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away stuff. He's wanting you to know that in the middle of real time and real space, these people existed. They lived and they breathed like me and you. And he wants you to know we have a historically rooted faith that in actual time, in actual space, when actual people lived and dwelt, God came. That's the first thing he wants you to know. The second thing that Matthew wants us to know in this genealogy is that Jesus is the central figure of all of human history. 
That's why he starts out in verse 1 talking about the Christ and ends in verse 17 talking about the Christ. Jesus Christ is the central theme of all of history from the beginning to whenever it ends. It's all about Christ. He is the point. I'm not the point. You're not the point. Our generation is not the point. No presidents, no kings, no celebrities, nothing. All people who existed before this genealogy and after this genealogy to the end of time all stand in the shadow of Christ. He is the king of history. And if he's the king of history, he should be the king of your life. He is the point. That's what Matthew wants you to know. The third thing that Matthew wants you to know is that from the beginning of time, and this genealogy specifically, that God, by his great mercy and his great grace, has always used broken, jacked up people to bring the message of Christ and salvation to the world. He wants you to know this family tree right here is as crooked as Vegas. They put the funk in dysfunctional. All right, this is Jesus' crooked family tree we've just listed out. And we don't have time to go through all of these, but uh, listen to some of these, this, this resume, so to speak, of Jesus' family tree. We have Abraham. About Abraham, Abraham, when he went to the Egyptians, he lied and told them that his wife Sarah was, in fact, his sister, so he would not have to fight for her and possibly die for her. All right, there's male chivalry at its very finest, right? Jacob, Jacob, he lied to his father, lied to his father-in-law, cheated out his brother. He had four wives. Jacob, right? Uh, Rahab, you know Rahab's story. Rahab's a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite woman. The, the people of the Moabites were known for their sexual immorality, all right, you have, uh, you have old Solomon Chamberlain in here who slept with over 1,000 women, 300 concubines, right? Solomon, you have uh, the story here of Tamar. If you know the story about Tamar, go back and read it. It's crazy. It's like an episode of Cheaters or something. But uh, Tamar committed incest uh, when she dressed up like a prostitute because she found out her father-in-law had a thing for prostitutes. So she dressed like a prostitute, hid her face with a veil in order to trick her father-in-law to having sex with her so she could have his baby. Tamar, all right, the bloodline here. Uh, David, you know the story of David. David committed adultery with Bathsheba then had her husband Uriah killed. Are you starting to feel better about your family yet? You know, you just came from Thanksgiving and that crazy aunt, that drunkle that you have. Right, this family right here makes the Kardashians look like the Brady Bunch. This is a messed up, jacked up line here. So why, why, do, why do we need to know this? Well, yes, Jesus had royal blood in his veins, but he also had the blood of murders, cheats, thieves, adulterers, swindlers, idolaters. This is his bloodline. So why do we need to know this? Here's the point. God has used people like this since the beginning of time to take the message of Christmas, and he wants you and me to know that he can use us, the same broken, jacked up, messed up, swindlers, thieves, idolaters, liars, sexually immoral, all of us, he can use us to take the message of Christmas to the world where we're going to go, all right? So what we're going to do is we're going to study some of these 
uh, people in this story. We won't be able to get into all of them, clearly. Uh, but we're going to study a few of them. Today, we're going to study Abraham. Christmas through Abraham. Before we study Christmas through Abraham, let's remember that all books of the Bible point to Jesus. Let's remember that every patriarch of the faith that we study are, are powerless unless they point to Jesus. All right, so let's read that through that lens here. And I want you to read or flip back with me to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And let's, let's see the, the beginning of Scripture when we get introduced to this man named Abraham. And what we're going to read here, this is, um, this is Genesis 12. This is called the Abrahamic Covenant. Okay? God's going to make a covenant with Abraham that Jesus will ultimately fulfill. But let's read this together. The call of Abraham, verse 12. We'll just read 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And as I said, this is what is known as the Abrahamic Covenant. This is 200 years after the flood. This is about 2,000 years before Jesus Christ. God, in the midst of mankind's continued rebellion since the fall, abruptly abruptly interrupts and engages this man named Abram. All right, now Abram um, and the people that he was around. This is an ancient uh, Babel city is where they're living. This is modern-day Iraq. And and the people were pagan worshipers, um, idol worship. They were worshiping the moon, in fact, specifically here. So here you have this man named Abe, and that's exactly what he was doing. He was worshiping false gods, worshiping the moon, probably doing some moon dances. He's not pursuing God, not looking for God, doesn't want God, anything to do with God. Um, he's never done one single thing in his entire life that pleased God, you must understand this. This is absolutely very important in our time together. He's a godless man, all right? And it is in this space that God abruptly interrupts Abraham. Not because he's earned it, but because of God's great grace. And in this encounter, this undeserved encounter... Abraham experienced the grace of God, and his life would forever be changed. You see, at that very moment when Abraham responded, we know that Hebrews 11.8 tells us that Abraham went and responded in faith. At that very moment, moment, Abraham was counted righteous by God because of his faith. This is exactly how your salvation happens, by the way. You're not seeking God. You're not looking for God, never done anything in your life pleasing to God. And all of a sudden, by his great grace and his great mercy, he interrupts your life and calls you by his grace to himself. Erase any idea or any uh, imagination that you have this picture of Jesus politely and patiently knocking on the door, waiting for you 
to open it and invite him in. He busts the hinges off the door of your life. Bust through the door. You see him. He's awesome. He's amazing. He's beautiful. And you can't help but follow him once you've seen him. That is your salvation. So he did that with Abraham. He walks in and he begins to lay out this idea of what he's going to do in this Abrahamic covenant. Tells him, basically, pack up your stuff, Abraham. Get your passport ready. Get your bags packed. I'm going to send you to a land. But you're not going to see it yet. You have no clue where you're going, basically. You think about when we move before we go places. What do we do? We case it out. We Google it. We see how many Chick-fil-A's and Starbucks are there. We look at the school systems. We, uh, man, we look at the crime rate and those kind of things. We want a lot of answers uh, before we go somewhere. If I'm going to jump there, I need to know all about it. Not Abraham. He didn't know where he was going, how he was going to get there. Didn't know what was awaiting him on the other side, suffering or prosperity. He had no clue, and yet he went. He just went because God told him to do it. Now, the other thing he promised him, in addition to a promised land here, is that he was going to make Abraham's name great. His name was Abram first, which means the father uh, of a na- uh, the father of actually it says um, he was the he was an exalted father. That's what it meant, exalted father. But then he changes his name later to Abraham, which means father of the multitudes. His promise to Abraham was that he was going to take his family, and he was going to bless all the nations through all of his offspring. We're told to have descendants as numerous as the stars. A massive family, a nation that would spread so great that it would bless all nations. But there's a problem here. This is a problematic thing here because if you know the story, Abraham and Sarah were barren, physically unable to have children. So you must know by this promise here he's doing, Abraham's kind of scratching his head. It's like, hey man, I'm 70 And I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't even have a script for a blue pill. I don't know what's going to go down here. But you're going to tell me you're going to bless all the nations through me? Yeah, that's exactly what he did. It wasn't dependent upon Abraham and Sarah. God is the giver of life. And he was a promise maker and he was a promise keeper. We know that this, this promise came to pass, didn't it? We know that the, the God began to grow a mighty, mighty nation always through suffering and hardship and persecution. To the point of today, 15 million Jews still exist as a great nation, and it's always survived the hardships, right? No matter how many times mankind is trying to wipe out the Jews from the face of the earth, God's promise still stands. He is a promise maker and he's a promise keeper so basically what we're seeing here abraham the father of a nation but then it says he's going to bless all the nations on the earth not just israel all nations all families on the earth that's you and that's me we are a part of this abrahamic promise now, we know that this, our, our faith is, actually, it's rooted in the Jewish faith. We don't think about that often, uh, but we know our Bible 
came from the Jews. We know that Jesus came from the Jews. Abraham, all these things are blessings from the Jews. So we, we have a historically rooted faith that is rooted in Israel. And then ultimately, we know that this promise here, this Abrahamic promise, Jesus fulfilled it. He's the one, ultimately, that's going to bless all the nations on the earth. And let's read this together. This is in Galatians. So fast forward to Galatians 3, 7 through 14. Galatians 3, 7 through 14. And I'm going to tie this together in just a moment. Let's read this together. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, Abraham, saying, In you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith is evident through that passage, underlined it a bunch. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So let me try to make this connection here. You know, Abraham, the story we just read there, he was justified by his faith, right? Wasn't his works. He had not done anything to please God, to earn his favor. He was justified by his faith. And now, that should have extended all the way through the gospel. But now Paul picks up writing this, this letter to the church in Galatia. Here's what was going on here. Uh, there were some false teachers in the church in Galatia, and they were called Judaizers. And they were preaching to people and saying that in order to be a Christian, uh, one uh, must obey the law, the Old Testament law, perfectly in addition to trusting in Jesus in order to be right with God. And this not only grieved Paul, it made him irate with the church because they were believing. They were believing that you had to be justified by the law when he had already said that you're justified by your faith like Abraham. Look, at, look back, if you have your Bibles, look back. This is not going to be on the screen. Look how he opens up chapter 3 when he's rebuking the Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Who's adding to that gospel? Who's saying that you have to be baptized in order to be right with God? Who's saying that your churchmanship and your, your, your good deeds and your works and your serving and your giving, who says all of those things Make you right with God. Let them be accursed. Do not add a word to the gospel that says that we are justified by faith and faith alone in Christ and Christ alone. Just like Abraham was justified by faith, not 
by his works. So how are we, the next question really leans itself to say, why should we have faith in Jesus? Faith in Jesus because he fulfilled the law for us. That's what Paul's saying here in the text here. He said that law that was given to us was to show us that we will never be law keepers. Do you understand what I just said? The Ten Commandments were given to you to show you you would never be a law keeper. You would be a failure of keeping the law. What do you do with that then? Well, you have to trust in the one who kept the law. You have to trust in the Christ for 33 years of his life. He was a law keeper. Every single moment kept the law for you because you and I could not do it apart from him. That is justification, being right with God by faith alone in Christ alone. And those who believe that Jesus Christ, who was cursed on the tree for all of your sins, all your failures to keep the law, for those that believe that, You have eternal life, and you are counted righteous as Abraham was counted righteous by his faith. In fact, didn't he just say, Paul, say that we are the sons and daughters of Abraham? That's what he says right out of the gate. It's the first thing he says there. Know that then it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. You know that that genealogy that we read earlier? We looked at it, and it's all jacked upness and all that stuff. That is our genealogy. That's us. And in fact, I would say that we fit pretty well in that family. If we're looking at ourselves rightly, according to the scriptures, we're as jacked up as these people. Liars, thieves, cheaters, adulterers, hypocrites, idolaters, That's all of us. We will fit really good in this family. You see, the difference is this. We're aware of it, we admit it, and we fight it with everything in us. Why? Because Jesus Christ was crucified for us. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might know the righteousness of God. We fight it, right? We we don't live these loose lives because we've been justified by faith alone. Isn't that the accusation? Listen, isn't that the accusation of people? When we say we're justified by our faith alone, the very first accusation is loose living, man. You tell people that, they're just going to live loosely. That's always the accusation. It always has been the accusation. But I'm so very thankful that Paul answers that question for us. Look in Romans 3.31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Do we, now that we have this faith, can we just cast out the law? Does it mean anything, loose living? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Listen, church, we have to beware of the devilishness of a works-based salvation. We have to beware of it. It'll do a couple of things. 
it will either make you overconfident in yourself or underconfident in God. It makes the gospel look weak, and it makes the gospel look foolish to people. We are saved by faith alone and Christ alone, but it does not lead to loose living. It leads to godly living. Because isn't, didn't, isn't that what Abraham did? Look back at what Abraham did after God declared him righteous, chose him, righteous before. What was the response of Abraham? I'll tell you, it was the right response. And look at it in verse 4. So Abram went. God said, go. And Abram went as the Lord told him to. He obeyed. He didn't say, well, if I'm justified by faith alone, what the heck's it matter? No, he went because he knew the commands of God were for his good. He didn't sit. He didn't ponder. There was immediate and unquestioning obedience to go. He didn't say, let me pray about it. And let me tie this together because I believe uh, that you know that this Bible is full of God's commands to us. As God spoke to Abraham and said, go, he's told you and me to go. Make disciples of what? All nations, just like Abraham. He's told us to go. Share the gospel. That's what he's told us to do. And if we properly understand justification by faith alone, we'll go. We will go as Abraham went. And this is why we're calling this Christmas through life point. Because you and I are part of this genealogy. We are part of this family tree. We are an extension of Abraham. We are an extension of our father, Jesus Christ. The story is not over yet. We're waiting anxiously for the return of the king. And until then, he has given us a mission. As he told Abram to go, he's told you and I to go make disciples of all nations. The question really is, is will you go? Will we respond like Abraham and just went? So as this year, Christmas through life point. Here, let me put some legs on this and I'll land this. In order to mobilize you to take the message of Christmas to people outside the walls, we have partnered with uh, pretty much all of our local ministries here in Laverne, Smyrna, Middle Tennessee, Murfreesboro, um, in an effort to mobilize you to go engage the community out there. Because isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he come down from the mountain and come get us? He didn't invite us up to the mountain. No, he came down to the mountain. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go and live sent as God live sent. And there's on your, on your app, okay, don't look at it right now, but please download that app. And on there, there's a thing called Christmas Through Life. When you click on that later today, there's 20, 25 opportunities for you to go and engage the community and serve, build relationships, all with the hope of sharing the gospel of Christmas with them. That's the pinnacle, everybody. 
not to go give a bunch of cans of corn to the food bank. We're going to do that. We need to feed the hungry. But ain't nobody getting saved off the can of corn I drop off at the food bank. We want you to go and engage these places with having a mind of lingering with people, talking with them, getting out of our introvert nature in the hopes that you would build a relationship that you might be able to share the gospel with them. That's what taking Christmas to the people is all about. So as you go home later today with your family, personally, whoever it may be, look at that list of things. And and I want to encourage you, don't get paralysis by analysis, please. I mean, there's 25 things on there. Don't look at it and say, I'll pray about it. And all of a sudden, Christmas Day comes up and you ain't done nothing. Just pick one. Maybe pick more if you can. But go take Christmas. There's some great opportunities and great ideas that we've laid out. And it's also, like I said, a reminder of all the great, great partnerships we have locally here in Middle Tennessee. Be praying about that. Engage in that. Take a look at it. And let's go take Christmas to the world. Let me pray for us. Father, with forgiveness in our heart, we ask that you would forgive us of blowing past genealogies. You say that all scriptures are breathed out by you and profitable. And I just pray, God, that we have gotten a, a glimpse of why you do that and that every word matters. I pray that we'd see that Jesus is the point of all history. We have a historically rooted faith. And that, God, you have, by your great grace since the beginning of time, used broken, messed up people that don't have it all together to take the message of Christ to the world. That's us. Use us. You can use us. Oh, Lord. That's how you get great glory. We are willing vessels for you to do that. We love you. We cherish you. Thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.